Section 11 of The Second Jungle Book This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Second Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling Section 11 The Undertakers, Part 1 When ye say to Tabaqui, my brother, when you call the hyena to meet, you may cry the full truth with Jakala, the belly that runs on four feet. Jungle Law Respect the Aged It was a thick voice, a muddy voice that would have made you shudder, a voice like something soft breaking in two. There was a quaver in it, a croak and a whine. Respect the aged, O companions of the river, respect the aged. Nothing could be seen on the broad reach of the river except a little fleet of square-sailed, wooden-pinned barges, loaded with building-stone, that had just come under the railway bridge and were driving downstream. They put their clumsy helms over to avoid the sandbar made by the scour of the bridge-piers, and as they passed, three abreast, the horrible voice began again. O oh, Brahms of the river, respect the aged and infirm! A boatman turned where he sat on the gunwale, lifted up his hand, said something that was not a blessing, and the boats creaked on through the twilight. The broad Indian river, that looked more like a chain of little lakes than a stream, was as smooth as glass, reflecting the sandy red sky in mid-channel, but splashed with patches of yellow and dusky purple near and under the low banks. Little creeks ran into the river in the wet season, but now their dry mouths hung clear above the water-line. On the left shore, and almost under the railway bridge, stood a mud-and-brick and thatch-and-stick village, whose main street, full of cattle going back to their byres, ran straight to the river, and ended in a sort of rude brick pierhead, where people who wanted to wash could wade in step by step. That was the gout of the village of Mugger Gout. Night was falling fast over the fields of lentils and rice and cotton in the low-lying ground, yearly flooded by the river. Over the reeds that fringed the elbow of the bend, and the tangled jungle of the grazing grounds behind the still reeds. The parrots and crows, who had been chattering and shouting over their evening drink, had flown inland to roost, crossing the outgoing battalions of the flying foxes and cloud upon cloud of water-birds came whistling and honking to the cover of the reed-beds. There were geese, barrel-headed and black-backed, teal, widgeon, mallard, and sheldrake, with curlews, and here and there a flamingo. A lumbering adjutant crane brought up the rear, flying as though each slow stroke would be his last. Respect the aged, Brahmins of the river, respect the aged. The adjutant half turned his head, sheared a little in the direction of the voice, and landed stiffly on the sandbar below the bridge. Then you saw what a ruffinly brute he really was. His back view was immensely respectable, for he stood nearly six foot high, and looked rather like a very proper bald-headed parson. In front it was difference, for his alley-sloper-like head and neck had not a feather to them and there was a horrible raw-skin pouch on his neck under his chin, a whole all for all the things his pickaxe beaks might steal. His legs were long and thin, and skinny, 
but he moved them delicately, and looked at them with pride as he preened down his ashy-grey tail-feathers, glanced over the smooth of his shoulder, and stiffened into stand-at-attention. A mangy little jackal, who had been yapping hungrily on a low bluff, cocked up his ears and tail, and scuttered across the shallows to join the adjutant. He was the lowest of his caste, not that the best of jackals are good for much, but this one was peculiarly low, being half a beggar, half a criminal. A cleaner-up of village rubbish-heaps, desperately timid or wildly bold, everlastingly hungry, and full of cunning that never did him any good. "'Ugh!' he said, shaking himself dolefully as he landed. "'May the red mange destroy the dogs of this village. I have three bites for each flea upon me, and all because I looked, only looked, marked you, at an old shoe in a cow-bar. Can I eat mud?' He scratched himself under his left ear. "'I heard,' said the adjutant, in a voice like a blunt saw going through a thick board, "'I heard there was a new-born puppy in that same shoe.' "'To hear is one thing, to know is another,' said the jackal, who had a very fair knowledge of proverbs, picked up by listening to men round the village fires of an evening. "'Quite true. So, to make sure, I took care of that puppy while the dogs were busy elsewhere.' "'They were very busy,' said the jackal. "'Well, I must not go to the village hunting for scraps yet a while. "'And so there truly was a blind puppy in that shoe?' "'It is here,' said the adjutant, squinting over his beak at his full pouch. "'A small thing, but acceptable now that charity is dead in the world.' "'Ah, the world is iron in these days,' wailed the jackal. "'Then his restless eye caught the least possible ripple on the water, "'and he went on quickly.' Life is hard for us all, and I doubt not that even our excellent master, the pride of the gout and envy of the river, a liar, a flatterer, and a jackal, were all hatched out of the same egg, said the adjutant to nobody in particular, for he was rather a fine sort of a liar on his own account when he took the trouble. Yes, the envy of the river, the jackal repeated, raising his voice. Even he, I doubt not, finds that since the bridge has been built, good food is more scarce. "'But on the other hand, though I would by no means say this to his noble face, "'he is so wise and virtuous as I, alas, am not. "'When the jackal owns he is grey, how black must the jackal be?' muttered the adjutant. "'He could not see what was coming. "'That his food never fails, and in consequence—' "'There was a soft grating sound, as though a boat had just touched in shoal water. "'The jackal spun round quickly and faced, it is always best to face— the creature he had been talking about. It was a twenty-four-foot crocodile, cased in what looked like treble-riveted boiler-plate, studded and keeled and crested, the yellow points of his upper teeth just overhanging his beautifully fluted lower jaw. It was the blunt-nosed mugger of mugger-gout, older than any man in the village, who had given his name to the village. The demon of the ford before the railway bridge came, murderer, man-eater, and local fetish in one. He lay with his chin in the shallows, keeping his place by an almost invisible rippling of his tail, and well the jackal knew that one stroke of that same tail in the water would carry the mugger up the bank with a rush of a steam-engine. Auspiciously met, protector of the poor, he fawned, backing at every word. A delectable voice was heard, and we came in the hopes of sweet conversation. My tailless presumption while waiting here led me indeed to speak of thee, 
"'It is my hope that nothing was overheard.' Now the jackal had spoken just to be listened to, for he knew flattery was the best way of getting things to eat. And the mugger knew that the jackal had spoken for this end. And the jackal knew that the mugger knew. And the mugger knew that the jackal knew that the mugger knew. And so they were all very contented together. The old brute pushed and panted and grunted up the bank, mumbling, "'Respect the aged and infirm!' and all the time his little eyes burned like coals under the heavy horned eyelids on top of his triangular head, as he shoved his bloated barrel body along between his crutched legs. Then he settled down, and accustomed as the jackal was to his ways, he could not help starting for the hundredth time, when he saw how exactly the mugger imitated a log adrift on the bar. He had even taken pains to lie at the exact angle a naturally stranded log would make with the water, having regard to the current of the season at the time and place. All this was only a matter of habit, of course, because the mugger had come ashore for pleasure. But a crocodile is never quite full, and if the jackal had been deceived by the likeness, he would not have lived to philosophise over it. "'My child, I heard nothing,' said the mugger, shutting one eye. "'The water was in my ears, and also I was faint with hunger.' Since the railway bridge was built, my people at my village have ceased to love me, and that is breaking my heart. Ah, shame, said the jackal. So noble a beast, so noble a heart, too. But men are all alike to my mind. Nay, there are very great differences indeed, the mugger answered gently. Some are as lean as boat poles, other again as fat as young jack dogs. Never would I causelessly revile men. They are of all fashions, but the long years have shown me that, one with another, they are very good. Men, women, and children, I have no fault to find with them. And remember, child, he who rebukes the world is rebuked by the world. Flattery is worse than an empty tin in the belly, but that's which we have just heard is wisdom, said the adjutant, bringing down one foot. Consider, though, their ingratitude to this excellent one, began the jackal tenderly. "'Nay, nay, not ingratitude,' the mugger said. "'They do not think for others, that is all. "'But I have noticed, lying at my station below the ford, "'that the stairs of the new bridge are cruelly hard to climb, "'both for old people and young children. "'The old, indeed, are not so worthy of consideration. "'But I am grieved, I am truly grieved, on account of the fat children. "'Still, I think, in a little while, when the newness of the bridge has worn away, "'We shall see my people's bare brown legs "'bravely splashing through the ford as before. "'Then the old mugger will be honoured again. "'But surely I saw marigold wreaths "'floating off the edge of the gout only this noon,' "'said the adjutant. "'Marigold wreaths are a sign of reverence all India over. "'An error, an error. "'It was the wife of the sweetmeat seller. "'She loses her eyesight year by year, "'and cannot tell a log from me the mugger of the gout.' I saw the mistake when she threw the garland, for I was lying at the very foot of the gout, and had she taken another step I might have shown her some little difference. Yet she meant well, and we must consider the spirit of the offering. What good are marigold wreaths when one is on the rubbish heap? said the jackal, hunting for fleas, but keeping one wary eye on the protector of the poor. True, but they have not yet begun to make the rubbish heap that shall carry me. Five times have I seen the river draw back from the village and make new land at the foot of the street. Five times have I seen the village rebuilt on the bank, and I shall see it built yet five times more. 
I am no faithless fish-hunting gavial. I, at Cassie to-day and Prague to-morrow, as the saying is, but the true and constant watcher of the ford. It is not for nothing, child, that the village bears my name, and he who watches long, as the saying is, shall at last have his reward. I have watched long, very long, nearly all my life, and my reward has been bites and blows, said the jackal. Ho, 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 roared the adjutant. In August was the jackal born. The rains fell in September. Now such a fearful flood as this, said he, I can't remember. There was one very unpleasant peculiarity about the adjutant. At uncertain times he suffers from acute attacks of the fidgets or cramp in his leg, and though he is more virtuous to behold than any of the cranes, who are all immensely respectable, he flies off into wild, cripple-stilt war-dances, half opening his wings and bobbing his bald head up and down while, for reasons best known to himself, he is very careful to time his worst attacks with his nastiest remarks. At the last word of his song he came to attention again, ten times adjutanter than before. The jackal winced, though he was full three seasons old, but you cannot resent an insult from a person with a beak a yard long, and the power of driving it like a javelin. The adjutant was a most notorious coward, but the jackal was worse. We must live before we can learn, said the mugger, and there is this to say. Little jackals are very common, child, but such a mugger as I am is not common. For all that, I am not proud, since pride is destruction. But take notice it is fate, and against his fate no one who swims or walks or runs should say anything at all. I am well contented with fate. With good luck, a keen eye, and the custom of considering whether a creek or a backwater has an outlet to it ere you ascend, much may be done. Once I heard that even the protector of the poor made a mistake, said the jackal viciously. True, but there my fate helped me. It was before I had come to my full growth, before the last famine but three, by the right and left of Gunga. How full used the streams be in those days! Yes, I was young and unthinking, and when the flood came, who so pleased as I? A little made me very happy then. The village was deep in flood, and I swam above the gulf and went far inland up to the rice-fields, and they were deep in good mud. I remember also a pair of bracelets, glass they were, and troubled me not a little, that I found that evening. Yes, glass bracelets, and if my memory serves me well, a shoe. I should have shaken off both shoes, but I was hungry. I learned better later. Yes, and so I fed and rested me. But when I was ready to go to the river again, the flood had fallen, and I walked through the mud of the main street. Who but I? Came out all my people, priests and women and children, and I looked upon them with benevolence. The mud is not a good place to fight in said a boatman, get axes and kill him, for he is the mugger of the ford. Not so, said the Brahmin. Look, he is driving the flood before him. He is the godling of the village. Then they threw many flowers at me, and by happy thought one led a goat across the road. How good, how very good is goat, said the jackal. Hairy, too hairy, and when found in the water more than likely to hide a cross-shaped hook. But that goat I accepted, and went down to the goat in great honour. Later my fate sent me the boatman who had desired to cut off my tail with an axe. 
his boat grounded upon an old shoal which you would not remember. "'We are not all jackals here,' said the adjutant. "'Was it the shoal made where the stone boat sank in the year of the great drought, a long shoal that lasted three floods?' "'There were two, said the mugger, an upper and lower shoal. "'Ah, I forgot. A channel divided them, and later dried up again,' said the adjutant, who prided himself on his memory. "'On the lower shoal my well-wisher's craft grounded. "'He was sleeping in the bows, and half awake, leapt over to his waist, "'no, it was more to his knees, to push off. "'His empty boat went on and touched again below the next reach, "'as the river ran then. "'I followed, because I knew men would come out to drag it ashore.' "'And did they so?' asked the jackal, a little awe-stricken. "'This was hunting on a scale that impressed him. "'There and lower they did. "'I went no farther, but they gave me three in one day. "'Well-fed mangies, boatmen, all. "'And except in the case of the last, then I was careless, "'never a cry to warn those on the bank. "'Ah, noble sport! "'But what cleverness and great judgment it requires,' said the jackal. "'Not cleverness, child, but only thought. "'A little thought in life is like salt upon rice, as the boatman says. "'And I have thought deeply always. "'The Gaviel, my cousin, the fish-eater, "'has told me how hard it is for him to follow his fish, "'and how one fish differs from the other, "'and how he must know them all, both together and apart. "'I say this is wisdom. "'But on the other hand, my cousin the Gaviel lives amongst his people.' My people do not swim in companies with their mouths out of water, as Rewa does, nor do they constantly rise to the surface of the water and turn over on their side, like Muhu and Little Chapter, nor do they gather in shoals after flood, like Batchua and Chua. All very good eating, said the adjutant, clattering his beak. So my cousin says, and makes a great to-do over hunting them. But they do not climb the banks to escape his sharp nose. My people are otherwise. Their life is on the land, in the houses, among the cattle. I must know what they do and what they are about to do, and adding the tail to the trunk, as the saying is, I make up the whole elephant. Is there a green branch and an iron ring hanging over a doorway? The old mugger knows that a boy has been born in that house, and must some day come down to the gout to play. Is a maiden to be married? The old mugger knows, for he sees the men carry gifts back and forth, and she too comes down to the gout to bathe before her wedding. And he is there. Has the river changed its channel and made new land where there was only sand before? The mugger knows. Now, of what use is that knowledge? said the jackal. The river has shifted even in my little life. Indian rivers are nearly always moving about in their beds and will shift sometimes as much as two or three miles in a season, drowning the fields on one bank, and spreading good silt on the other. "'There is no knowledge so useful,' said the mugger, "'for new land means new quarrels. The mugger knows. Oh-ho, the mugger knows. As soon as the water has drained off, he creeps up the little creeks that men think would not hide a dog, and there he waits. Presently comes a farmer, saying he will plant cucumbers here, and melons there, in the new land that the river has given him. He feels the good mud with his bare toes. Anon comes another, saying he will put in onion, and carrots, and sugar-cane in such and such places. They meet as boats adrift meet, and each rolls his eye at the other under the big blue turban. 
the old mugger sees and hears. Each calls the other brother, and they go to mark out the boundaries of the new land. The mugger hurries with them from point to point, shuffling very low through the mud. Now they begin to quarrel. Now they say hot words. Now they pull turbans. Now they lift up their lathus, clubs, and at last one falls backward into the mud, and the other runs away. When he comes back the dispute is settled, as the iron-bound bamboo of the loser witnesses. Yet they are not grateful to the mugger. No, they cry murder, and their families fight with sticks twenty aside. My people are good people, upland jats, malways of the bet. They do not give blows for sport, and when the fight is done, the old mugger waits far down the river, out of sight of the village, behind the kick-house grub yonder. Then they come down, my broad-shouldered jats, eight or nine together under the stars, bearing the dead man upon a bed. They are old men with grey beards, and voices as deep as mine. They light a little fire, ah, how well I know the fire, and they drink tobacco, and they nod their heads together forward in a ring, or sideways toward the dead man upon the bank. They say the English law will come with a rope for this matter, and that such a man's family will be ashamed, because such a man must be hanged in the great square of the jail. Then say the friends of the dead, Let him hang, and the talk is all to do over again. Once, twice, twenty times in the long night. Then says one at last, The fight was a fair fight. Let us take blood money, a little more than is offered by the slayer, and we will say nothing about it. Then do they haggle over the blood money, for the dead was a strong man, leaving many sons. Yet before Amrit Vela, sunrise, had put the fire to him a little, as the custom is, and the dead man comes to me, and he says no more about it. Ah, my children, the mugger knows. The mugger knows, and my Malwajats are good people. They are too close, too narrow in the hand for my crop, croaked the adjutant. They waste not the polish on the cow's horn, as the saying is. And again, who can gleam after a malway? Ah, I glean them, said the mugger. Now in Calcutta of the South, in the old days, the adjutant went on, everything was thrown into the streets, and we picked and chose. Those were dainty seasons, but today they keep their streets as clean as the outside of an egg, and my people fly away. To be clean is one thing, to dust, sweep, and sprinkle seven times a day wearies the very gods themselves. There was a down-country jackal had it from a brother, who told me, that in Calcutta of the South all the jackals were as fat as otters in the rain, said the jackal, his mouth watering at the very thought of it. Ah, but the white faces are there, the English, and they bring dogs from somewhere down the river in boats, big fat dogs, to keep those same jackals lean said the adjutant. They are, then, as hard-hearted as these people? I might have known. Neither earth, sky, or water shows charity to a jackal. I saw the tents of a white face last season, after the rains, and I also took a new yellow bridle to eat. The white faces do not dress their leather in the proper way. It made me very sick. That was better than my case, said the adjutant. When I was in my third season, a young and bold bird, I went down the river to where the big boats come in. The boats of the English are thrice as big as this village. He has been as far as Delhi, and says all the people there walk on their heads, muttered the jackal. 
the mugger opened his left eye, and looked keenly at the adjutant. "'It is true,' the big bird insisted. "'A liar only lies when he hopes to be believed. "'No one who has not seen those boats could believe this truth.' "'That is more reasonable,' said the mugger. "'And then?' "'From the insides of this boat they were taking out great pieces of white stuff, "'which in a little while turned to water. "'Much split off and fell about on the shore, "'and the rest they swiftly put into a house with thick walls. "'But a boatman, who laughed, took a piece no larger than a small dog, and threw it to me. I, all my people, swallow without reflection, and that piece I swallowed as is our custom. Immediately I was afflicted with excessive cold, which, beginning in my crop, ran down to the extreme end of my toes, and deprived me even of speech, while the boatman laughed at me. Never have I felt such cold. I danced in my grief and amazement till I could recover my breath, and then I danced and cried out against the falseness of this world, and the boatmen derided me till they fell down. The chief wonder of the matter, setting aside that marvellous coldness, put there was nothing at all in my crop when I had finished my lamenting. End of section 11